tactical distributors. Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off. It's, you know, I've been listening to all the Hemingway audio books and then stories about him and, you know, for him, how like painful it was to like force writing and like just, I don't know, any creative process. I'm sure, I don't know, maybe we'll transition this into something related to Well, to I mean, guns. they design things. They design things that maybe that you have an idea, like well, these, these scope mounts or whatever. Like, yeah, it's been, it's a thing that exists, but you have to make it different. Yeah, different, unique. You know what I've always appreciated about your design skills, Eric? Like when we think about the honey badger and how that's become iconic. And, you know, the first one that Ethan really did or the one that you guys cobbled together, that's Ethan's design. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the only things that looked attractive on it, the grip, and you could start to see how the stock was going to... Yeah, this guy here. Yeah, this turn out, okay, that looks pretty good. Like everything... Like, and knowing the two of you, I know the parts that Ethan did. <laughs> um, but, you know, now Ethan appreciating the design aspect. But where we went from this prototype honey badger to right away, the next ones where you guys want to do clear anodize. And, but the subtle stylistic stuff that you did that make that gun iconic. And, you know, for us not having you with us at Q and we decided to build the gun again. And it's like, okay, well... This is, you know, the, the aesthetic part of it is Eric's. We need to change the aesthetic to some degree. But, you know, and we had a kid there, nice kid and talented kid um, doing industrial design stuff. And he, he was very confident and I applaud him. And I'm like, man, it's got to be different. But <laughs> good luck making it look better. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. But, but what I love about it is. You know, you see a lot of things and people try really hard. And I know you'll know what I'm talking about, even if I can't verbalize it, but they try hard to make it look different. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just turns out ugly. And where I think you also have a great eye, some of that could be working with guys like Ethan or Mike Mabry, but is where, okay, you don't want to add a bunch of material because it adds weight and you got to know where to take things away to where, you know, you're, you're, you can remove weight without losing strength in right. key areas. Right. Like that's art in and of itself. But like, w- w- do you remember looking at the honey badger and when you did that? And I know the time frame was fast, but the original honey badgers that we shipped and the pink cases that that went to guys, it was so simple and industrial, and nothing more than you needed. But it fucking looked incredible. And you see them today in a gun store. The honey badger it stands out with a thousand ARs. Yeah. Like, yeah. What What's the process like? How do you do that? Like you said, it's hard to verbalize, but. It's kind of like the the form has to dictate or the function dictates the form rather, right? Yeah. So, like you said, people people can get out of outside the wheelhouse of of making it look different just to be different, and you you know you can either add too much weight or you can remove too much material. You know, you turn into like a form, Formula One car kind of a thing where they only have material where they need it because that's they're taking it. You know, basically pushing the limits of what what they yeah. can do with the materials they have available, right? Yeah. So with the honey badger, it was 
it was like how do you, how do you make this thing as lightweight as possible but but not fragile right yeah and and it was it was i remember we we went back and forth about does it have to be a dedicated upper and lower set and we you know in in a we went sorry went from this where these were mp7 rails that we cut apart from an mp7 yeah. stock <laughs> which i'm sure people would be oh it's criminal tearing oh, their hair out if they heard that but oh at the time that yeah. was like even more rare than it is now yeah like, like yeah. i was probably one of five people or companies that had an mp7 outside oh of my HK yeah. And yeah. government. yeah 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 um but you know it was it was a snag hazard it was bulky it was clunky and so that's when we decided that it had to be a you know a, a receiver set of upper and lower and um and all all custom parts basically is it interesting to you like the pdw we'll call it a pdw style stock it's it's not really what i call it but as popular it's become that no one has been willing and, and i mean you too you've worked at a lot of these companies where yeah. no one's been willing to do it like commit to it like yeah it needs to be integrated in with the receiver like why right. has no one done that cost laziness i don't know yeah probably manufacturability is tough um, yeah. you know the ar15 platform was you know it's obviously made its mark in the world but uh, you know the AR, ar180 ar18 was kind of the follow-up to the AR-15 that, you know, Stoner was kind of like, this is this is probably what I should have done yeah, for the AR-15. Yeah, kind of the progression. M16, sure. yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, you know, and that's what, you know, with the ACR Masada back in the day, that, that was the goal was to, to take an AR-15 and make it better, make it more manufacturable, make plastic parts that need to be plastic or could be plastic being the stock. You didn't have, you know, the reciprocating wasn't in the stock you had a foldable stock at that point the they actually tried to make a polymer ar-15 lower receiver and like kind of a dovetail buffer tube thing um before the acr masada and they ultimately just decided oh. they couldn't do it it was just going to be a, a compromise in every way so they i didn't know that basically started from scratch and designed the masada yeah once you start going down the road then it doesn't seem overwhelming if you gotta just s start over i guess but I think it was interesting for me, and I guess you and Ethan probably just always sort of connected because, you know, you're into motorcycles and lots of other things. And I know, you know, Ethan's passion was always like shit with motors and wheels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at uh, UNH, they started that whole like Formula One race car thing right. that they do. The, the competition every year. Yeah, yeah. His, his senior year. Yeah. Okay. I think they were the first ones. But you guys just always connected on that, it seemed like to me, where you understood each other. Yeah, absolutely. To where you weren't trying, you know, I wasn't from a marketing perspective saying it needed to necessarily look a certain way. You weren't trying to add stuff for unnecessary reasons. And we right. believed in Ethan's minimalist approach. Like, this is what the gun is. This is what they want it to do. And we had to start, we were talking about it earlier. People will say, oh, you know, like the haters and the Rodneys, you can, you could build a gun for a third the price of Honey Badger's just as good. And you start thinking about the subtleties. And I know aesthetically how you're able to do all these subtle things that make the design language, make the entire gun look intentional. Like it's, yeah. yeah, intentional. And it goes together. Not like it's a hacked up butcher job like <laughs> we do on Spurgeon. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and, and it's beautiful in that way. But. It takes the detail. When we talk about the Honey Badger being a pound lighter than any of its competitors, right? it's like, okay, well, this is why there's not a lot of parts coming out. The gun looks like an AR. 
the receiver sets are different. The bolt carrier is different. The operating system is different. Right. Every stock part is different. The forend's different. The barrel nut, the barrel, the adjustable gas block, the tapered muzzle, like all of these little subtle things right. is what makes it really great. And designing each part and making each part, it's very expensive and cumbersome, but it's how we're able to make if you've never held the honey badger and you pick up any of the competitors and then pick it up, there is no one that doesn't instantly notice a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's expensive <coughs> to make things uh, bespoke or whatever you want to call it that are purpose driven. Right. And yeah. so, so yeah, it, people like, you know, obviously I've designed background I've does, you know, really pick apart design of things aesthetically and otherwise. And, you know, people like to, to basically broadly paint a thing, right? So it, it looks like an AR-15, so it must be the same thing. And th they're not looking into the nitty-gritty. And then yeah. we, get, we get a lot of that on our, our optic mounts and stuff. Like, oh, that just looks like someone else's thing. You're like, well, maybe some of it does. It looks but like a one-piece mount, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Right, right. Who, you know, <coughs> does their mount Excuse look me. like someone else's mount? And where did they get that from? And, and it's, it's the subtleties uh, and the nuances that really, I think, make the difference if you're willing to pay attention to it. Yeah, and I, it is interesting, and and I know you can relate. Well, you know, I had somebody say to me, "Oh, that's just a Geisley mount." It's like, well, yeah. Did Eric and Nick do a a new thing by doing a one piece mount? No, but Geisley, like, uh, well, that looks like a knight's exactly. armament mount from yeah, twenty years ago exactly. to me. Like, how much history you know? We were like, just with Trey uh, a week or so ago, and he's like, "I did all that twenty years ago." <laughs> oh, yeah, <that's> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's and, all and, he, up, and he's not lying. No, yeah, and, and we yeah. said, yeah, and and he was he was kind of mad because we weren't doing like crazy new things. I was like, Trey, it's yes, you did, but you know, we're we're doing it now for a specific purpose for a specific person, or, you know, a group of people who are doing a thing with the thing. So. Yeah, it does look a bit like the Geisley mount because we started with the ROF 90, which was the top mounted RMR mount that we had a customer come and ask us for. And it had to match. Yeah, a military the, customer, yeah, not yeah. not a big U.S. Right. distributor right, into right. the right. wannabes. It had yeah. to match up with a Geisley scope mount that they already owned. And so we had to use that same style and language. And and then that's, you know, basically just transpired into what is now like our AUS mounts is it's all user requested uh, things that we put into one entity that didn't exist, and it had, yeah, and that's what we did. And we ne we never we're not claiming that we invented the one piece scope mount or the yeah. you know the haters are gonna hate yeah the red dot right. mounts that we do. It, we never intended to be a, a mount company, but people asked us to make things that other people weren't willing to do, and we did it. it it's so cool when you, you know I used to want to control the direction of a lot of the company and different things, but. You know, years ago when we were working together, um, and even before that when you were at Magpul, but when we start working, because like, everybody will say, oh, it's is user-driven. And, you know, I think that's an important part of y'all's background that I th hope people take away from this. Because, you, you know, now there's like 40 companies that make mounts. Sure. You right. know, and back when I met you guys and your kids just getting in the industry, like there was two. Right. Right. And how did you differentiate yourself? And people can say user, but, you know, I know the programs that you guys have worked on. I know who these are going to. And, you know, it, it's not that you have a, you know, a cousin that went through Bud's once. And, yeah. you know, and I mean, I mean, these are for really elite guys. And from my standpoint, what I love about it is like, I don't want ugly stuff. Sure. And and that's the J part of me. Like, you got, you got to <laughs> look good. But 
yeah, if I can save an ounce or two on my one-piece scope mount, because I want a one-piece mount rather than rings. Well, when right. you do that, you add a lot of weight, but you also add rigidity. You're not... Right you're less likely to torque the tube of your mm-hmm. scope and all these great features. Right. Um, you know, and, and I love that you guys give me scope mounts, but so will a lot of other companies, but I love that this thing isn't ugly. It's not bulky and it's lightweight. And, you know, I mean, I think it's what we're trying to do as a, as a company as well. And, and you're right. Uh, kind of the beauty of this, we didn't start out like we didn't want to make triggers. Right. And we did, but if we're going to do it, it's going to be the best trigger. We're not going right. to do it just to do a trigger and quality costs you know and that's what people have a hard time understanding (laughs) and design costs (laughs) like it's really it's really easy to buy ar parts and put together ar-15s because dozens of companies make them and they're all the same parts they just have a different label on them yeah and and good luck getting large quantities to perform at a high level when you're doing that And, and that's where something it's funny trey saying that and trey can Knight's Armament can say what he said to you with everything in the industry, and it's mm-hmm. 100% true. Sure. But I think it's up to Knight's. Like, they're the ones with all the money and have done everything. Right. They're the ones that should be doing the all-new stuff. Right, right. I mean, they've done it a lot of times. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love to see. That's what, one I don't understand is that they, so many things that we use all the time and whatever, they were the first ones to do it. and But it's been, however... Yes, yes and they, no. Like, look at the German FG42. Like, where do you think those flip-up sights came from? That's true, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, right, I mean, look right. at his cult collection of the AC, the original ACR program. Right. Where do you think that SOP mod stock came from? Like, Knight's Armament has changed our industry, and they've made huge, important products for actual war fighters that change things. Right. And, you know, from their night vision, the flip-up sights, to their forends, the vertical grip back in the day. I mean, we could name a hundred yeah. rail panels. Yeah. Rail, yeah, yeah. I mean, just all these incredible things. I mean, we know it's, it's probably my favorite overall gun company, them and H and K and it inspired me. And I'm sure everyone at this table. Sure. Right. Um, but you know, like why didn't y'all follow through on that PDW? Every time I see him, I'm like, gun. dude, we got to finish that yeah. gun. Yeah, exactly. So cool. Okay. I mean, it is, but you know, it's, it's nice to have 500 military contracts and not, care about right. the commercial market yeah 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 but that gun that was good times back in the day i was, I was yeah. looking at your picture of the of the uh the helmet gun over there <laughs> uh, that was the right. silencer shoot yeah did you shoot that thing uh no so but Thomas, i was next to him when he did it we'll, super dangerous we'll need we'll need to put that uh picture <laughs> in this um, so uh trey is such a i mean he's had the the fortune to to work with his father and also stoner for the last 10 years of his life and just all these brilliant guys and seen the craziest stuff of anyone near my age in our industry. Sure. And it would be great if he wrote a book one day, but he would never do it. (laughs) The stuff they say, but he shows up to the silent and I don't know. Did you ever even notice that picture? I've seen the picture. Yeah, but I didn't know that. So that is a, uh, a tech 22 on top of, I think a pro tech helmet (laughs) with a cable and a trigger. You you fire. It's so dangerous. Cable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you turn your head and Oh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) And, um, but he, he got that from stoner patented this, uh, helmet gun thing. And I think it had two Ruger Mark ones mounted to the side of it (laughs) and you would fire Um, that way. So if you're riding a motorcycle or something, you could shoot. Great. And I'm sure someone asked stoner to do it. It's probably not like he came up with the idea, but Trey remade that his version of it and it did it with a tech 22 it's so funny it sat so far on top of the helmet even with 22 with a silencer 
you would shoot it and go <laughs> every time. <laughs> and anyway, that's a picture I think he yeah. sent to me after the silencer shoot. Oh, yeah, because it was so dangerous. It's right. just me and Trey and maybe like a couple people shot at Johnny Nevesky probably. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah, he had a 22 PDW out there too. Oh, he did? Yeah. Like a Knight's PDW in 22? It was, it was like a cobble together. I, I don't know who made oh, the actual... Uh, oh, you, you know who has one? Who's that? My son. Really? Oh, no way. Yeah. They gave... Uh, and it might be the one from the shoot, or he built one oh, for Aiden funny. after, because uh, he, he just adored Aiden, and Aiden is was born a couple years before his kids, hmm. and Aiden like loved Star Wars. So Trey was our you know instant right, buddies right, yeah. with him, right. and would send Aiden stuff all the time, and uh, and Aiden loved World War Two and and the Knights Museum. So you know we would go down there several times a year, and and he and Aiden were good buddies, and he uh, like he sent Aiden I think for his like fourth birthday that nerf belt fed oh, right, uh, yeah. machine oh, gun nice. and i remember aiden would uh being a little kid in the old advanced armament building he would ambush people in the hallways like he would <laughs> oh. like build yeah, his yeah, little yeah. sniper hide with it back in one of their rooms and when people come down the hallway you know shoot them with the dark it's pretty awesome but um people like y'all's age probably playing call of duty the chainsaw gun yeah so he did that as a joke just for that silencer shoot and that's where we all shot it and it was a stoner 86 that he converted to a chain. He just thought he got into ergonomics for yeah, a while. Right. Yeah. And um, was they, like a chainsaw makes sense. That's how you need to shoot them. <laughs> and we shot so many yeah. rounds through that gun. Yeah, that was a 3D uh, machined Delrin that before th- 3D printing was like yeah. usable. He, oh, yeah. So he spent a ton of time making that thing happen. It's good when you're creative and you have like hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> of resources. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, tr- in a different life, Trey would have been like Iron Man. Right. Like for real, because yeah, he's yeah. got the imagination, and and if it were up to him, he would have spent money on that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because and you're right. It, the things that they would do right. to, like, he would go in the prototype shop at nights and have them spend weeks on just shit like this, and you know, I I don't I don't know if it was worth it, but it was an exercise to him. But I mean, now you see that gun in like Call of Duty and stuff, and it all that was. He just did it as a joke for us to fuck around with it at the yeah, silencer right. shoot. Crazy. And then it was fun. So it just like kept getting like passed around. Right. Um, but yeah, that's where that was too. He brought those two things. So silencer shoot, bringing it back. That's <sighs> changing lives, man. I know. Changing, <laughs> changing lives, changing video. Influencing games. people. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it was such an interesting time. You know, we talk about we're fortunate to be in the industry and doing what we do from 2001 to 2011 when there was so right. much going on right. and i don't know that we'll ever see that again in our lifetimes to where you know and i mean you hope you don't in some regard but right. the, the good part of that was we were able to have greater access to the guys um and that the industry was able to develop product for them that then you know really kind of catapults a lot of the war fighting forward um and and then the the upside is on the commercial side everyone right. gets the benefit right. of this especially with the assault open span expiring i mean just catapulted oh, everything yeah, right that's so right that's right that was oh four huh yeah war on terror plus awb going away it just like was the perfect storm for innovation yeah um so much cool stuff i mean but you know we think we talk about i mean the honey badger was just and I've told the, the story before, but it, it's like in a hallway and, uh, y- you know, the uppers had been purchased for four sixteens, and, you know, I understood their purchasing and the life cycle was up on the MP5 SDs. And then right. having, you know, two young guys that, and we had a couple bucks and, 
it's like you and Ethan, you all's commitment to in, you know, what, two weeks or something. Yeah. We took that. Something like that, yeah. We took that. I took it up to those guys to shoot, went back and forth several times mm-hmm. before one of them broke the 3D printed stock. <laughs> yeah. You know, that happened in the office too. Like one of the gorillas just like jerked it out <laughs> and a piece goes, like, That's oh. the problem with prototypes. No one ever knows that they're prototypes until they break. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and how that turned into something so quickly. And I, I, I yeah. think it is part of like what you guys do and being reactive, even at, if, even if it's just a, uh, the little, the top cap, what do you call ROF it? ROF 90, yeah. Yeah. So 90 and 45 options. So to put a little RMR on right. there and, y- y- you know, you support those groups. You give, you know, the one guy a little bit of an advantage and they come back to you next time and you keep getting the opportunity right. to do so. Right. right, which is, you know, the people like, you know, other companies that in that industry that that's where they got their start. Even at Magpul back in the day, it was, it was listening Magpul. to the guys, you know, who were asking for the things and we, we fixed the problems that... You know, Richard always said that we'd, we'd give them what they need, not what they want kind of a thing. So we'd go out there and we'd watch them do That's what they're wise. doing, uh, do what they do. And they think, oh, we need this. We're like, okay, well, I know you think you need that, but what if we did this instead? Like, oh, I didn't, you know, didn't think of it that way. People kind of describe their needs in terms of what they know. And so Richard always used the HK416 uh, Steel Magazine as an example. When we did the PMAG, there were a lot of haters and a lot of doubters out there because they were only experience with polymer was the thermals and just the the early stuff that was legitimately terrible yeah. right and so we made the pmag and people always said no we have to have a steel magazine well, what they meant was they want a durable magazine they want a reliable magazine it doesn't matter if it's steel or balsa wood that's that's they're asking for a performance requirement not necessarily material but they didn't know any better so when we came out with the PMAG, we had a lot of work to do to prove the fact that not only was it as good, but it was actually better in a lot of ways. It was more reliable. Uh, it was obviously lighter. It was cheaper. And if you dropped it, took, it, the feed lips didn't stay deformed. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you yeah, shaved the, off. We um, we won a contract in the UK uh, for I think it was 1.1 million e-mags, and we had done this for a couple different user groups in the US as well who were running 416s. Um, the PMAG original one was not compatible with their magazine. Yeah, well. w- was this just the 416 or was this the, um, the what's the bullpup gun? S80. S80. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was that magazine as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so uh, the small user groups here and abroad that use the 416 wanted that, but we were able to sell 1.1 million of them to the UK MOD um, at large because we shaved a, a kilogram per man off. Yeah, by it, eliminating the steel mags. Is is this? Am I remembering this correctly? It. Oh dang. Um, they did a steel mag originally, not for the four sixteen, but they did it for the the SA eighty because they it had to be. They were trying to get the rounds up as high as possible, right? right? So using the steel mag to reduce the the feed lips is, is that the reason over aluminum? And then they just had that mag, so they used it in the four sixteen. I don't recall it originally on the the S80. Yeah. I think it always had uh, steel, but I do um, know that like the 416, the low magwell, the front of the magwell, that was the, because they had a training magazine that had a little fence that popped up so you couldn't put live rounds in it, and it had a. The, if you look at the 416 magwell, there's a little half crescent cut out of it, mm-hmm. and when you insert it into the gun, that little fence gets pulled down by that cut, and so that's why that oh. 416 has such a low f- f- forward magwell. Yeah. yeah, created a lot of problems. The, the shit that you don't know. But then, yeah, but what we were saying before that, you know, these guys had the 416s. We had PMAGs that didn't weren't compatible. And so we had to sit there and hand mill 
thousands of these things at first before we got the That's emacs really up yeah, and going on a bridgeport yeah it was funny. That's cool. You know, when you brought up the uh, plastic or, uh, you know, you have something that's polymer as opposed to aluminum or steel, and if you drop it on the feed lips. Yeah. I remember Trey telling someone, you know, it wasn't even their product. And I, maybe, I, have you ever heard me tell this story before? Not sure. So w- we were talking about, it's like when RMRs were becoming yeah. a thing. So this is 20 years ago. And tra- we were at a trade show or a military show, and just shows like his breadth uh, of knowledge and experience like with his dad and stoner and everything he's absorbed it's just like instantly he's right there thinking about right. it and somebody was talking about oh well the rmr is plastic blah 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 and maybe it was a doctor optic right. back then or something right. but there was an yeah. aluminum one yeah and trey just Doc, instantly yeah. said well you got a uh you want an aluminum or a plastic trash can <laughs> and he's like, you know, I kick my plastic trash can. It just goes right back to what it was. He's like, kick out the aluminum one. It's got a big-ass dent in it forever. Right. Yeah. And it just, like, put it in perspective. He's like, you drop your optic on that, you know, if you have the ability to make it polymer, like, that absorbs so much and goes right back to the yep. position right. that it was formed. And you're not going to get that with aluminum. Yeah. And I, I, I think about that every time I put a little RMR on my guns now. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, kind of the same thing you're talking about with the mags. Yeah. Yeah, pros and cons to each. I know I, w- I was at a group once, and I was with the guy who was in charge of all the, like, salt rifle stuff. And one of, one of the operators came in there and wanted them to use, he wanted to use the PMAG, and they weren't allowing it at the time. Right. And his argument was, it's lighter, but this group used colt aluminum mags <laughs> and he's but it's interesting when you talk about like what people think or their impression of something and he's like it's polymer it's lighter he's like and he had a scale on his desk he's like put it on the scale yeah aluminum's lighter yeah i mean e- yeah. even the emag like yeah. it's not it's not but you think it is right. like you want it to be because right. it's polymer. Well, there's a lot of glass in there yeah it's reinforcement <laughs> yeah. you don't yeah. see it's that it's very dense yeah. yeah exactly yeah um but you know it's even interesting with that okay so it's a it's a cheap plastic mag. All you do, you know, injection. But, but like, what goes into the design, engineering, and actually the manufacturing of that? Like, to not, you know, it's a lot of what. Ex- I'm surprised PMAX sell for so little. Like, what? I mean, it's just a volume thing, right? Now, right. but like, so much went into it. Oh, I yeah. know to make it correct. Yeah, I mean, we were still fixing, making it better until after I left. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's it's process at that point. It's it's the molds. It's learning how that behaves over time and yeah you know and and refining that you know during the what lead up to the first obama presidency they were i forget what the number they were doing of mags a day molding but it was all hands on deck molding as many as they could and it was every insane. tool we had yeah, yeah. it was yeah. insane i mean I, I know i was told recently that there's a thousand people or something in the facility in wyoming oh really yeah i've never been to it i haven't either yeah and i was like Oh my God! You guys <laughs> have a thousand employees. I it's believe like, it. Oh, though. it's just in that facility, right? Because like, cool, somebody's got to put those mags together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah. You know, put them in bags and From stuff. But I mean, that, it's you know. But I, I think all these things are the experiences when we talk about your new products, or when I think about Ethan and still being impressed with him, and think about you guys ten years ago. And it's not right. like you get worse at your job or dumber (laughs) when you go through like all these actual projects and some commercial projects but a lot of the military stuff and because there's so many companies i mean 
you show me new companies every day I've never heard of. Like 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there wasn't like a gun or gun accessory company I had never heard of. Right. 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 Easy. Yeah. Right. There just wasn't that many. And now everybody, you know, claims all the same stuff and it's just not, you know, because I don't know. There's like when you talk about magazines, like how many people do polymer magazines now? The Hex Mag or whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, the if people knew what actually went into the the PMAG and development process just from a material selection standpoint and tweaking the tooling and the fact that, you know, some of the first molds uh, that we made plastic when you you mold it it warps and shrinks and does weird stuff right so yeah. i remember um yeah it's an art in and of itself and it's guess yeah. and check you yeah know, or, you, or you spend 30 say, years learning <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, exactly but i mean i think a lot of people think that there's some sort of you know computer simulation that gives you this is the perfect exact design uh, and whatever most commercial consumers 100 percent think what you were saying yeah. And because we know even at the most elite levels in the military, the most elite groups, half the dudes aren't in the guns and stuff. Right. Right. And they sort of think the same thing, too. They do. Yeah. When they get there. But, you know, they're the ones that are actually part of advancing our industry. And then they soon realize the work that goes in to just on their, you know, their side, like your little acro mount or whatever it's not like you're going to ship them to them they're just going to put them on the guns and, and go into combat with it right, like they're right. going to go out and shoot and do all this crazy shit with right. it give you feedback and there's going to be tweaks and changes right. and right you know right. then even from their standpoint holy shit you know we want to change uh a, an optic mount mm-hmm. it's a lot of work on their end right. to do the testing right. and understand that it's good and it's not going to fail and right. it's giving right. them an advantage over what they've got already yeah yeah no, we've we've had a lot of testing done on a lot of our products that you know by those those groups and and we don't we we don't want to be the people who have to wave that flag right and so yeah, uh, yeah it's not it's not your personality and right knowing you a long time I get that but I also know what you've been through what you've worked on what you've done and how valuable that stuff is oh, and. You know, it, it, and it translates instantly to the consumer, and right. you go against what you. I mean, I don't know who you guys consider competition. I would. I mean, I only know probably five companies that make mounts, but I know there's like a hundred now, and everybody will think they're your competition. And I think the Geisley mount's probably a good mount. Yeah, Night Force mount is a good mount. Like sure. there's several, but all of them, a lot of them look similar to yours. But there are so many terrible ones out there sure, that are right. just junk and you can mess up a scope mount very easily. Yeah. Oh, sure. And it, or you, you know, you extrude it and you make it in China. There's a lot of people doing that. We're yeah. doing it out of billet in America. You know, it's right. Yeah. And it's and hard. It, and if you could extrude it and get the quality that was necessary, <laughs> you would do it because you're not dumb. And but you we know do it here and not in China. Well, you know, <laughs> that's the thing is right. people yeah. are used to, you know, they always want to pay Chinese prices for American goods. Right. So, yeah, funny doesn't really work like no. that typically. No. Uh, no, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's like a lot of things. You 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 get what you pay for to right. a large degree, but understanding that when you when you hold that next to the Chinese one and everybody right. is well, not everybody, but like all the idiots are like, oh, well, you, they're just ripping you off. Like, why would this one cost forty? And there's that, and you could just say child labor, <laughs> yeah. or Materials, you know, yeah. or. Like who pays the engineers that actually design and makes make the difference in designs? Like right. this stupid little sling devil that we just did, and it got several messages about how we're overcharging for them. It's this little plastic thing. Yeah. Well, it um, you know, it's it, it's two little glass filled nylon deals and paracord. And they're like, you should only charge us. It's like, okay, 
if we had zero engineers, right, you know, and we put no R and D into it, if we didn't do the testing to make sure that it's what we said, right, right, you know, it, it's like Ethan Lassard makes a lot of money, and then guess what? Then we're not selling like P mags. We're not right. selling a million a month of them or whatever the right. number is. Right. So somebody has to cut the paracord, has to burn the ends, has to put it in a bag, get the two people. Like even that aspect of it, like that's not some six-year-old Chinese kid doing it right. for three cents a week. Right. right. Even if you just broke it down to you took one of our engineers, if one of our engineers spent one day doing everything, R&D, design, all that stuff, they just spent one day. Think about what they make, and that's one day of their their work. Like, if if that was the price, it's more than it costs right now. Like, if yeah. you just took them away from their job for one day to do that, and you made people pay that money, it's yeah. way more than it costs right now. So, what are you complaining about? But but I love the idea too. Like, I originally had the idea for watching this, like with my kids over at the water, watching like this hundred million dollar yacht. It was tied to the dock and how it was. I was like, it's so fascinating mm-hmm. that you trust that mm-hmm. to hold that $100 million <laughs> thing. Right, right, right. And so then we started looking at it. I talked to the engineers, and I do some preliminary sketches, tell them what I want to do. And I'm like, yeah. this is a good way to attach and detach some things. Like, oh, gosh. I mean, you guys, I mean, y- you understand the QD cup. Like, what a nightmare. You have this part, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you got to make some best guesses because Uncle Mike's isn't giving out tolerance right. drawings. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 You can control that. Right, right. They can't control or can't whoever control the is, other yeah. end. Right. But, you know, me spending my time on it and then talking to the engineers and them going through, you know, even us 3D printing them in-house, go sure. through 20 different prototypes and right. designs right. and then figure out the way, okay, how can we make this little glass-filled nylon thing pull 500 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, and then... Right. It's by design, which no one wants to think about, but it, it, it's all-encompassing. Okay, so we're using the paracord, and that's what's really, yeah, it is all the weight because the way this is designed, it, it puts all the stress on the paracord mm-hmm. primarily. Okay. And that, that's part of the design, you know, and that's not somebody that's not an engineer that doesn't right. understand these things and doesn't have ability to go and test them is going to figure out. There's a weird kind of a dichotomy or even just like a juxtaposition with that thing too is that because – the sling devil itself and the way that we attach it is so simple that I think it tricks people. They think because it's Q that it needs to be more uh, in depth or more mm. or just harder to use than it is. Yeah. We The biggest question we get on the sling devil is how do I attach it to the sling? And I'm <laughs> like, uh, do you forget about knots? Like, <laughs> yeah. do you not know how to do that anymore or whatever? Like, yeah. But I mean, y- you know, a lot of times when something's simple, like you're. <laughs> unless you like own the company or do the design or aware of it. Oh, it's like that should cost next to nothing. Well, a lot of times you start with something very complex and you keep boiling it down to what's simple. And I think the honey badger is an example of that. The scope mounts an example of that. Um, you know, the stupid sling devil, which I mean, even Thomas carrying cameras and stuff in Africa, he's like, the sling devil is the best thing you guys have ever designed. (laughs) Like after Uh, a week and, you just think, and he's like, there are so many uses for this. And you start thinking about it, and it's like, well, yeah, but you're right. At our company, you know, like, these are all reasons why things are expensive relative sure. to other things. And it's why you want to buy from those companies that are willing to bet on um, themselves and develop product right. and, and not always having a guaranteed customer. 
And, you know, that's something for you guys, like not wanting to pound your own chest or explain, you know, the background or how long you guys have actually been around where, you know, God, God bless everyone out there trying to make a living. But it's like, okay, you, you used to do this other thing or you were in the Army and that's great. And then you retire, you get, you got out three years ago and you've always had a passion for guns. God bless you. Right. Right. I did too. And, and that was 1994 for me. <laughs> right. You know, and, and like, that's a lot of what you pay for. Right. You know, like for instance, if I want a Knight's gun, you know, am I going to pay seven grand for a Daniel defense 308 gun? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Am I going to pay seven grand for a Knight's arm at SR 25? Yes. And right. I know. I know what he went through to do it. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, we know the subtleties that make that gun great. And right. I know what Mr. Knight's time's worth. <laughs> right, right, right. And I want him to keep on doing those things. Right. And I think that's true with any of the companies that I admire. Like anybody that's actually putting in the work and chasing the thing. And you just can't get there without a lot of the experience or the connections. And, you know, sometimes it'll be, you know, industry friends, whether it's, you know, like uh, when me and Johnny and Trey met you guys or it's right you know working uh, with other companies but you know like I wouldn't support you guys if I didn't know the background and what you guys actually do and who you do it for I mean it'd just be another scope mount company big deal the but the connections and the network are so critical yeah. uh, we were talking about this earlier at breakfast it's something that if we had tried to do this 10 12 years ago and we didn't have access to guys like you and Trey and some of our military customers I think it would have fallen flat. But, oh, but also experience, too, like right. what you were saying. Like 10 years of experience is, you, you can't pay for that. Well. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, you can, but you pay someone who's had you, 10 years you of can't, experience. You can't buy it, but uh, yeah, you yeah. pay for it okay, with the best sure, product. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I think yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't buy it. Yeah, yeah it, you can't. And that's cool that you carried a gun for 10 years. That's cool, and that is experience. It's valuable. Um, it doesn't make you good at designing gun parts. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, you know, if we want to go back to, like, the Magpul story where, you know, Rich Fitzpatrick, the founder of Magpul, he saw people doing the 550 cord with the duct tape around the magazines. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, that I can I can do that better. But he wasn't a design guy per se. Yeah. And, and that's where the, the original Magpul came from was he was. But he's he was a creative to, guy. He was very course, creative, yeah. but it, but not a, you know, product design was not his background. No. And then that's when, you know, and then the M93B, the prototype or the what do you call it oh this uh, experimental stock? experimental stock you remember that the, the yeah. yeah yeah so he he designed that whole thing in a, a, adobe illustrator like all 2d drawings yeah yeah but then he got back mayberry in there who who was passionate yeah. and was a product design had a huge background boa juicy breaks yeah we you know. talked about yeah. him yesterday i mean so i mean that's you know that that sort of dynamic duo thing that you want someone right. that is driven like rich was right and i remember seeing the experimental stock and we should post a picture up now and it was so, like nothing like that was right. being done. Yeah, right. So you knew there was something brilliant there. But then, you know, now looking at it, it's like, oh, my God, how are you going to make that? <laughs> yeah. It's hideous. It's like parts, all these yeah. things. Yeah. Right. And um, then you saw a change with, with Mike, with Magpul. And, yeah. um, man, you, you got lucky. I did, yeah, absolutely. To, to get in there at that point. It was a really fun time. It was something that... Um, like we talked about earlier, I was doing marketing for them. Doing the what a design great stuff. time for marketing then, because like us everyone and Magpul, else, there was no one else doing it. Everyone else different. sucked. It yeah. was, there it was, was magazine terrible. print ads that were horrific. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think our rule was always: if you saw Colt doing it, it was dead. 
So like style wise, <laughs> you know, if, if someone like that latched on, they all did. You know, this was early in the global war on terror, you know, Iraq war type stuff. So everyone decided desert, dirty, you know, sandy kind of stuff. And then suddenly Colt's doing it. Like, okay, time to move on. Let's do a cool skateboard. Well, that, that's where you know, the bag man thing came from. Well, I, you know, fun oh, of the industry. God, I hate that you said that. I was going to bring that up. One <laughs> thing that I remember from Magpul is coming to SHOT Show yeah. and Magpul's booth, you guys, it may, this was Orlando probably? Yeah, yep. Um, 2000, yeah. The, the big thing in the background, was, was it the, like, when seven, the Masato, Masato was Masato, that was, it was, yep. yeah, that yeah. was yeah. that year. Yeah. And it was like a dude in a uniform, but he had like a paper bag over his head with a smiley face yeah. drawn on it yeah. or something. You want to know the backstory on that? Of course, because so, it was brilliant. Like, I actually still remember that, which <laughs> is, is amazing as much as I despise, like, gun industry marketing. So Richard and I were doing all the graphic design and marketing uh, at the time, and we were struggling because everything looked so generic. It was all dude and multicam stacked up on a door, you know, tactical bullshit. And so Richard was at Quiznos one day and he saw the guy behind the counter was like this kind of fit buff guy. And Richard's like, I have an idea. So he grabbed the guy, put him in some cry uniforms and literally took a Sharpie on a paper bag and drew a smiley face on it and did a photo shoot in his basement real quick and knocked it out of the park. So it's iconic, like iconic for our industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it, it's awesome. I mean, it made an impression, but that was really the starting of, not taking yourself too seriously in the gun industry, right. right? Taking the product and your passion for it seriously, but you don't all have to pretend that you were Navy SEALs, right? Exactly, and right. You, you know, because I mean, the Navy SEALs aren't typically designing stuff for the Navy SEALs, <laughs> right? Um, so there's just there's just a lot of that, and that it doesn't have to be done that way. Um, yeah, th- those were just exciting times. Yeah, it's crazy um, that it hasn't caught on, like. It seems like it's gone up and down. Like Magpul AAC were doing it differently, and obviously it made waves, whatever. But it's crazy that everyone didn't just decide, let's do that. Like they didn't just jump on it. And you see it more now, where everyone is doing last week's thing. Like, oh, I saw that company do that last. Like last week, let's do that. And you see it more now, but still, like there are still the companies that refuse to do so. Like we talked about it on a previous episode. Sig put out a video where they. Uh, collaborated with uh, that Gypsy Walters dude. Um, he's a tattoo artist, but he does a lot of maybe it's Waters, well, whatever. Um, but he he's a tattoo artist. He does a lot of like gun art stuff like that. But it, the video they put out was so off brand from what you expect from Sig. It was cool to see that because it wasn't the standard tough guy, tactical or Max Michelle. Like Sig is very we know what they are. Right. And they did this, and it was it branched out. So it was cool to see that, but there's still those companies that will not do that. Y- you can't fake it, I think. And it's so transparent when you do. I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know how to verbalize it, but, um, you know, SIG is cool in their own way, and everyone is. But, like, it, it's hard when you get yourself into a brand rut, right? Like where SIG is, is, so when they do something like that, it is cool and it's refreshing, but also it's like, what? Are they trying to be cool? Because it doesn't make sense. I mean, I I think um, people have different ideas about business and how it needs to be done. And and I get that. And that's kind of an old school way of thinking. But like if you can't teach creativity to a large degree. No, for sure. And it's organic. And some people can recognize it, but they can't develop it. Right. You you know, like, um, and that can be with industrial design or it can be 
with mechanical design or it can be marketing just yeah. just marketing and and it's you know just like you have friends that are awesome and they're great people but they're not funny <laughs> right. right. I mean, and the, the problem is a lot of the stuff is subjective. You can't actually measure it. Right. And so when it, someone says, well, I think that looks good. I can't quantifiably say, well, you're fucking wrong. It, like, it, it's difficult. Like I know we've all probably worked with people where like you have to have an answer in black and white to make the decision. There's nothing I do. Like I don't even think the decisions come to me at our company anymore when it's a black and white decision. Right like that's all easy and it is hard when you want to do something like hey we're going to put the you know to have leadership that says you know what this is all lame we're going to put the bag over it said i'll take a picture in my basement bam we're done that made more like i can't tell you a single other piece of marketing from that shot show sure and that was probably the cheapest backdrop (laughs) of the whole thing like you, you can't but you can't fake it and some of the big companies try to fake it. And some they'll get marketing people that are good. Like I think Vortex right now, Scopes. Like I don't know a ton about them, and I don't even really know their marketing. I see some of their commercials on hunting shows that I watch. But somebody turned me on to some of their YouTube videos. They're fucking hilarious. Not they, really? Yeah. You probably didn't know this I didn't either. Know, I did not know that. Oh, they have this whole like one that's a competition, like shows their office in the cubes, and it's like hunting season starting. So this one guy like brings in, I don't know how it started, but maybe he brought in like a, uh, he wore camo one day or something. So the next guy the next day brings in like one of his shoulder mounts, hangs it up in there. <laughs> and then before you know it, by the end of the week, they've got all their shoulder mounts. They've put in each of them. They're like competing and they're putting in uh, like climbing stands or like a ladder stand and they're <laughs> like all their hunting stuff preparing for it. Yeah. And it sounds, I probably made it sound horrible, but if you watch the video, it's brilliant. Yeah. And you know, and that's a big brand doing something and it didn't seem forced Right. Like they have somebody there in their marketing department that is hitting home runs. Yeah. Well, um, they're, they're globally hitting home runs right well, now. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, they make a great product, great value. Right. I mean, right. The, uh, yeah. the other piece of marketing from that shot show would have been the Masada poster, like the x-ray. Did you ever see that? I don't know that I remember that. We're, we're giving out, I think there were like 11 by 17 um, versions of a like x-ray version. So you could see all the components inside oh, of it. Oh, that's cool. And then it called out everything. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was you know, like similarity with the AR-15 was the goal was to to show how many similar parts and um, that remember the, the original Masada was like it's going to be you know coming at the, the awesome price at twelve hundred dollars <laughs> all these things and that only four pounds yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shipping next year when you make things that mm-hmm. it's hard work uh, as we you all don't know. say <laughs> yeah and then yeah. it turned into this when when Bushmaster picked it up so you know it, it it's hard and, and so many people like blame Magpul, but not having understanding of the industry. I mean, Magpul, you guys were a bunch of freaking kids that right. are just, you know, you're wandering and you're deciding, hey, we're going to do this and you can do the design. But, ooh, manufacturing the entire gun. Okay, <laughs> who's got $10 million? Right. Well, there you go. That's it. And one of the people that is kind of behind the scenes that I say most people don't know in this industry is a guy named Doug Smith. Yeah. Doug was the COO at Magpul. He was the guy that... Uh, talked all of us off ledges like hey let's make this or let's buy it back from Bushmaster let's do that and uh, Doug basically sat us down and said this will bankrupt the company do you understand that we make little widgets we make grips we make stocks we make like that's our core competency we don't want to spend like you said 10 million dollars to do something that might fail it's it's hard taking risk I mean I'm probably more willing to do it to a fault than most people um, you know, and it was a big thing, us starting with the fix, and I funded it all. And 
if I had to do it over again, I'm not sure we could do it over again. If I had to do it over again, I would do it differently. And the passion will take you so far. In the day, you got to write checks, right? right. Um, and it is easy, like all that coming together. And we see it with you know a lot of our backlog now, supply chain and all these things. It gets real complicated when you got something that's got a hundred parts in it, right? As opposed to a PMAG where you got what you got uh, one, two, three, four, and a spring maybe, yeah, like five, five parts, yeah. five injection molded parts and a spring right then you got to put it to like i'm oversimplifying it and we know the devil's in the details but that's a far cry from doing the entire gun oh yeah um yeah and it's it's nice to have scope mounts or magazines and stuff that are not serialized and regulated and you have to have permission from atf before you <laughs> ship it and you got to go right. yeah um yeah doug was may have saved the company if that He's was the conversation brilliant i mean the yeah. guy from a, a business standpoint it, it was kind of funny because I, I may be misspeaking here a little bit but i don't believe he had ever fired an ar-15 until he was coo of magpul for like seven or eight years <laughs> and it didn't matter because he was the business side he understood yeah. finance he understood supply chain um it was I, I would say he's probably one of the smartest executives in the entire gun industry. That's awesome. Yeah. Is he still there? He is still there, yeah. Oh, he's and yeah, look at what they're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly, right? Um, but he's he always behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, so uh, he's, he's, he's a good dude. Yeah, you need that. I, I mean, I know I get messages almost on a daily basis. Hey, I'm getting out of the Army or I have this job, but I'm so passionate about guns, I want to come hmm. work for you. And it's like, right. That's kind of my job. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like everyone else yeah. we need. It's cool if you like guns. Right. And I love, I want everybody to love guns. But yeah, we got to solve for the problems at work. Mm -hmm. And then we don't have a problem with, with people liking guns. <laughs> yeah, liking guns. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so easy now to get in the industry. I mean, you, I mean, you guys, to me, uh, I mean, you, you both have done incredible things. And it, it's just, you got to love the timing. Uh, I mean, you both were so fortunate and yeah. a part of what made Magpul great, but it was great timing for Magpul. The sure. leadership had the enthusiasm and, you know, the vision that we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do it our way and we're going to change the world. And sometimes that works out. And I think, you know, Magpul is a great example. And I mean, when, when we got there, the entire product development process was basically sitting around a table and saying, okay, I have an idea. Would you buy this? Would you buy it? Would you? Okay, let's make it go. Yeah. And there was no PowerPoint presentations and ROI yeah, calculations. It was just, what's going to sell? We all want it. There's a bunch of other dudes that want it. Like, let's do it. I, I, I mean, that I love that process, and I remember advanced armament, and now at Q, like I know, and I think we spoke to some of this yesterday, but like I understand this is the great time for Q, mm -hmm. and this is an exciting time for Reptilian for you guys. And once it gets to a certain size, like that conversation has to change. Right. It does, yeah. And the company, you know, it's very difficult to stay one size and stay innovative yeah, or yeah. stay true to who you are. Right. And as you grow, right. it's like, what do you do? Do you separate the the creative stuff from production? Is that and I don't know any of these. And you know, we're going through this as a company now. And at some point you got to make decisions and you right. don't know until you're looking in the rear view mirror if it was the right thing or not. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, you know, I still, I won't give up on the, that's the way I want to design some things. And we talked about yesterday, the, the mini fix, like the honey badger, right. I think has become one of the most iconic guns in America sure. or the world, even because of call of duty. Right. And 
we have a huge demand for it. And it pales in comparison to the demand for the mini fix. And who would have thunk it? Yeah, and yeah. we still, and I ask myself sometimes, people, I mean, I don't know how often you get the question, Jay. I get it like probably once a month. Like, what is that gun for? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want it? Right. And it is like, it's actually the best question. And it's an, kind of an impossible question to answer. Right. Yeah. And like we say, you just once you shoot it, you'll find out. Like you'll know when you shoot it, you'll know. But it's hard to vocalize. There is no one that disagrees. I I, re- I reposted a picture a guy, uh, this week. A guy he, he tagged us, but he also sent me. You know, it shows up, and he sent a DM. And the tag, and I don't remember what it was, but the guy had lots of incredible guns. Like the dude knows guns. Clearly has some dough. But he had the fix. He had the honey badger. He had an MP5. He had like all these things. And he's like. It's hard to explain to people, but the Minifix is my favorite gun. And and you would never guess it until you pick it up and you shoot it and you use yeah. it. Well, think about the uh, the H&R handy rifle that you guys did. I mean, that was something that, I, if I recall correctly, the Remington guys, the HR guys are like, no, that's dumb. And then that one single skew. Well, that was probably me saying that. <laughs> maybe. But that one single skew outsold all of the other handy rifles combined. The, the way I remember the handy rifle coming about is... Robert was really engaged at that point and just by his nature like figuring out cheap things right yeah. and figured out if we ordered it they had to sell them to us at like $80 or whatever the oh, thing wow. was yeah. I mean, it was something ridiculous and once we kind of figured out sister companies and right. how it worked and all right and, and I was like man the H- I mean, this is my recollection Eric's or yours they might all be different and all be correct or all wrong i don't know but the way i remember it is is robert came to me and's like hey we should do this and i was like that is so stupid he's <laughs> like he goes like yeah but it's a, his his goal was to make 300 blackout right succeed yeah and he's right. like they cost us 80 dollars and right. we can sell them for 150 or right. whatever it was right and, even and at that price it's a steal Right. For what it is. Yeah, yeah, because it and it turned out to be one it. of those things yeah. where you, you go to the range of your buddies, and, it, and especially now with ammo prices, it's part right. of what I love about a single shot or a bolt gun over a gas gun is you have just as much fun and you spend 10% of the ammo. Yeah. Right. It's not $50 per magazine. Like, yeah. you yeah. can, yeah, hang out and... I mean, because we all think about it. You think about, like, sitting around... I'm not saying having a beer because you're handling firearms. Christine wouldn't appreciate that. So we'll say <laughs> you're having a soda with your buddies. <laughs> and you, you just pick out a target at 50 meters, 100 right. meters, and yeah. you put one round in, take a shot, it's and you like pass a, it around. It's kind of like the BB guns back in the day, like Red Rider, right? Yeah. 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 I remember, where were we? It was with Drake. We were at the, that hunting uh, trip that we'd go on every year. Right. And it was, you know, hunting, like you could shoot whatever you wanted. They had clays going all the time, but they had this stupid Red Rider BB gun and we just shot the shit out of that thing. It's, so it's just funny. so much fun because you just, you know, it's, it's it's just, there's a weird challenge to it. And it's like, again, it's a game at that point. Yeah. It's not like a tactical thing. You know, working in this industry, people come up to you and say, hey, you want to go shoot the 249? You want to go shoot the 240? I'm like, eh, it's hot, it's loud. But then, yeah, I'll come in with a new 17 HMR. And we're like, oh yeah, let's go kill prairie dogs. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to do that over the 240. Should we? Yeah. Should we bring that back? The handy rifle. We have an opportunity to do so. How about a handy rifle we with 8.6? Yeah, that. I mean, it would be awesome. I already yeah. talked to Adam about it. Like, just do barrels. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, we uh, we could do it. Oh, we, oh, we got something I don't know about going on. No, we just floated the idea, and we have the. There's a. We have the ability to do it through Nate, old Nate Treadaway. 
We should definitely do it. Because what do those handy rifles go for now if you find them in 300? I have no idea. See, Probably no idea. too much. I've never even... I know Colin has one in 300, but I've never seen them for sale in 300. But they've You haven't? Not like recently, like the aftermarket. One of them told me that recently on Gunbroker it was six hundred dollars. I was gonna say it's probably five six hundred bucks. I have um, two. I have the very original prototype. Robert wanted to do a heavy barrel. <laughs> no. And it has iron sights on it, and oh, the gun weighs like ten pounds. It is so stupid, <laughs> but um, it shoots real nice. Yeah. Iron sights. So I think the production one we. Ended up putting a 1913 in a lightweight barrel yeah. and threaded it yep. uh, 5H24. Yep. I've got one of those, yeah. It's a cool little gun. Yeah, so, so I've got, I think, one of the production ones in that yep. original prototype. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah single shot 8.6 that would be cheap. Ooh. I mean, it yeah. would be even more fun than that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 8.6 is quiet and oh, hits twice as hard. Yeah, because I, I forget the name of the company off the top of my head right now, but the... H and R and well, uh, it, those those are the original ones. I just oh. mean the one that BPI like they're Nate talked about it when he was here. The oh, they that's do right. The, they so were doing muzzle powder. loaders. Yeah, yeah, because they, they they do a handy rifle too. Um, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. And so if we did the tooling, I'm sure we could just drop a barrel in and oh yeah, do we, our we own. should totally do those. Yeah. That would be cool. Q could make a cool single shot thing. You make it make it go because it's one of those things just like when we get back to the the mini fix like you just gotta shoot it right Mm -hmm. right think you don't want to own it i I mean ivanka she shoots all the stuff and 90 percent of it is by choice is that mini fix with its under chicken yeah it's just fun you don't have to have hearing protection on and just have fun yeah and you don't i mean granted you can blow through rounds if you want but right but like you say a little 10 round mag and just (coughs) It's taking you a couple seconds to shoot through in between each round, and you just you can go spend a day and shoot under a hundred rounds, and you just had a blast mm-hmm. for the day. Oh, great day! Well, what? All right, let's get back to some reptilian mounts. I got some questions. So you guys got uh, the thirty mil that you had. Mm-hmm. You, you're you're just coming out with thirty four now. The thirty four has been released. Yeah. So like I said. It that's the first clear one, but the black and FDE are for sale right now. Um, oh, you can get them on the website right mm-hmm. now? Yeah. What is y'all's website? ReptiliaCorp.com. Seems like we said that yesterday. Yeah. I maybe had some beers. <laughs> <laughs> we all had one. Um, uh, but yeah, so, th- so the 34 is there. We've got the prototype 35 mil out that, you know, not a lot of options for 35 mil. No, there, no. there's not. So doing that, and then we're going to go higher with the 34 mil because there's not a lot of options for 193. 34 mil either and, and why you need that night vision yeah is that for inline or people want if you're wearing nods nods usually nods, yeah because i think all the inline as it is right now is it's all 154 yeah, it 39 mil typically so what do you have to do then you put that on a riser your your inline stuff yeah but also there's no standard so I've, we had um i had got a, you know a military current government customer asking for risers for their inlines because they were you know different mm. a- different heights and they needed a specific oh. it's like ah, you guys it was like w- they were using like one one seven oh scopes and they were had one five three self licking ice cream cone <laughs> for you though every yeah. time you change something you gotta yeah. change something yeah. Else. Yeah. exactly exactly right. but you know a lot of those things like i said uh, we we made them because they were requested and they didn't exist and so we were you know we try to try to fill in those 
it was lower volume but special customer needs speaking of special customer lower volume i want that uh fixed direct mount mm-hmm. yeah Ooh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna do that that's what i want and uh q search stuff yeah oh, we, right. we do have the the prototype we didn't didn't bring it up but the q cert torch so that the light body that'll nice. do q cert and then we've got some other ideas for q cert accessories that we so we need to bring a handguard out so we can uh, put stuff on that'd be yeah. great yeah yeah, yeah the ar handguard for it mm. Mm. i like q cert i like it best super light yeah no he's yeah. Strong, strong, nailed yeah. it on that yeah easy yeah so much more convenient uh yeah that was a, it, it was a good idea poorly executed back in the day with the msr right Right. And that's part of the experience and <laughs> we keep talking about. And yeah. then also like perseverance, like, yeah. okay, so that was almost it, but wasn't yeah. it. How yeah. do we make it it? Right. Right. What, um, what, what are like how, and I don't know if this is one, a question for both of you or, or one of you, but okay. So what differentiates from a sales perspective? So probably Nick, like what, what's better why would someone buy your one piece mount or th- what do you call the little the mounts for dot the mounts. dots dot mounts dot mounts over over other good ones on the market so it's it's twofold the reason why we made the AUS mounts um, was we had a customer who was a small unit that wanted a certain specific feature set they wanted it to be as slim as possible so no big nuts on the side they wanted it to be backwards compatible with our existing ROF top little red dot mounts um, they wanted it to be light, and they needed the ability to mount an offset, um, either backup site or mini red dot, um, without taking up additional rail space. Yeah, um, like here. Essentially, they're, they're fielding a gun that is fairly compact, and they needed the rail space to do the low variable power optic, the laser, and a clip-on night device. So, so if we can do the um, offset without taking up additional rail space, that was kind of their wish list. Yeah. The problem was the existing mount manufacturers are so married to their current systems they weren't willing to deviate for a small number that's great opportunity exactly right right um so as eric has mentioned several times we never wanted or expected to be a mount manufacturer but we just kind of fell into it because they had a need and we were able to fill it fairly quickly so on the sales side one of the things that we do is obviously the um the lack of the big nut on the side is big for guys especially if they're running something like an acr or a scar that has a side charger they're not racking their knuckles against that big yeah nut. sometimes it's inconvenient for me because there's not a half inch but then for instance w- when i have this uh mark five on the fix and so you didn't have a 35 millimeter right. and i'm using and, and i like them out pretty well it's a badger ordinance i think the badger loophole because the thing is there was only like two at the time right, right. i got that but I carry that gun slung on my chest, and then I remember how Dig I hate in. those <laughs> nuts that stick out yeah. that far every yep. time, unless yep. I have a coat on or yep. something. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of the, the wish list. Yeah, so I uh, get it. From a, a sales standpoint, um, one of the things that we have really pushed to do was be very easy to work with um, for dealers and distributors. We don't do frequent sales to undercut their margins. We, When we do, we offer them additional discounts. So you'll see some of that around Black Friday. So it's not the sexy innovation design piece, but there's a lot of dealers who, let's be honest, they need to be able to make money in order to actually run the business and sell the products. Yeah. So be by the factor that we're, I guess, trying to, to make it easy 
to get the products, to sell the products, deliver quickly, not undercut their margins. Yeah. That's another reason for my sales I mean, sales support standpoint. your local gun dealer, man. It's important. Like, you don't right. realize it until, you know, force them to be good. I mean, there's lots of competition out there. But support them. You don't realize how important it is until you move somewhere uh, where there's not right. one around or one closes down. And, like, it's cool to order online. I love when people order from us, and I'm sure you guys do too, but... I and probably growing up in a brick and mortar gun store. Right. I'm also because you know big box came to town. Right. And they take some of the business, but your core customers are never going to go because you have such a knowledge base, and that's important. Where you know at Bass Pro Shop, generally no one knows anything about any guns there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So from a dealer perspective, you guys have that. Do you sell through distribution as well? We do. We've got RSR and Sports South um, are the two biggest ones for us. Okay, so that or a dealer direct and you sell consumer direct on the website. Right. We do. Um, it's kind of a mix. I mean, some guys really like talking directly to the manufacturer and ordering, you know, there. There's other guys that if you're in charge of, you know, merchandising an entire gun store, um, you just don't have time to cut purchase orders to 50 different brands. So if they yeah. can add it to their RSR order while they're buying ammo and cleaning kits and, you know, honey badgers, it's just simple. And... So it's kind of a, a necessity, to be honest with you. It's yeah. it's like um, if you go to the grocery store and they don't have cherries, they're going to buy apples or something like that. It's easily substituted for a competitor's product if it's convenient. So we just want to make it as easy as possible. But th- for the guys who prefer to come direct, absolutely talk to you all day. But also back to what you were saying earlier about you know ten years ago we would have never been able to make make what we've made happen. You know. Nick going through all the different companies, the Magpul, Radian, uh, Silencer Co. You know, he's he's been around the industry and knows the sales side in and out and knows, you know, what, what makes the whole system work. And I, I know what, you know, the design side, mm-hmm. what makes design stuff kind of tick, and he knows what the sales side. So it's really a good uh, mating of, of, of two different skill sets that complement. Yeah, that, that's cool because it is a complicated piece to me like i wrestle with it all the time because for me it for us you know what what do we wrestle with right now okay so we had and even before COVID, a huge back order position so fulfilling the back order not letting quality slip and maintaining innovation and developing new products so so that's always like the shell game of the things you're working on right but when it comes to the sales uh, like uh, like what's a distributor do for me now right you know and and i'm a little more you know forthcoming with the guerrilla marketing and stuff than you guys right and um and it's sexy when you have a gun right. you know that's always a sexy thing like right magpul is a cool company you guys are a cool company to show your product for it to make sense you got to put it on a gun right but w- you know we were fortunate to um and so thank you for all the work on the honey badger sure. to create something <laughs> to where there's a big demand for it and it's like okay do i sell it distrib- and this is a thing like all the right. companies wrestle with over time and you see them make mistakes and do it correct and i don't know what the right answer is but my love is really for the consumer, which I think is everyone's goal. Of course. But I really love the brick and mortar gun stores. And like I, I wrestle right now with this distribution, do something for us. And I, I think, yes, but if we got a year backlog on everything, if I cut out distribution and that cuts out six months of that, like it, it makes no difference to me. I mean, really, and it might as we increase production. But Well, but one of the things, too, is if you did add on distribution and you can't supply them, you end up pissing them off. 
So it's kind of one of those things, if you're in that position where you have a year backlog, it might not make any sense. Mm-hmm. For so us, it's a lot it's about, um, like I said, the, the fact that it's a one-stop shop. It's like adding everything to your shopping cart at once. No. But then they also have um, credit terms, which you and I have seen the, these crashes and spikes and whatnot. A lot of people just overorder, they get aggressive, and then they go bankrupt. Yep. And so there were a couple times at Magpul where these little gun shops would order 1,000, 10,000 PMAGs at a time and couldn't pay. They went out of business. Um, there was one, I won't name names, but there was one company we actually ended up taking guns from them because we were worried they were going to default. It, it's so funny. I did that last week. Oh, there you go. So I think it's coming. Again. I, I traded product when, um, you know, and to us, it, it's like dealing with brick and mortar. And I see, to me, when I started looking at it, we had some dealers that owed us money. And I was like, in this market, okay. Well, then I go in a gun store, and it's like, there's lots of guns. There's mm-hmm. lots of ammo on the shelves. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. The writing's on the wall. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you talk to them, and, like, I get it. You know, stuff happens. And only thing I'm not going to tolerate is you taking product and never doing anything and you know if if something happened to me it's a mom and pop brick and mortar and they explain to me and they have some i I don't know tragedy and personal thing that appeals to me like maybe whatever you know we can write some of that off right but um people that just decide not to pay like i personally like get involved and contact (laughs) them right because it's bullshit and it's like hey you got a situation you order too much whatever the thing is i make mistakes every day can't be fine what you got in inventory? <laughs> I need. We need ammo. Right. There are guns that we need. There are optics we need. Like right. you are not stealing from me. Right. But I also am willing to work with right. you. And and yeah. So I mean, I think that happened to me at Advanced Armament, and like that was a lot of my knife collection that I've got, mm. and a lot of my firearms. Well, I, I got them that way. There was another very large company. Again, not naming names. Um, they knew that they were going to go bankrupt, so they placed massive orders for stocks, grips, magazines, all Such that kind of stuff, bullshit. because they knew that in bankruptcy they didn't have to, you know, even send right. it back. And it's a major brand, so um, there's horrible. a lot of skeezy stuff. So going back to just simple risk mitigation as a business, that's what yeah. distribution brings for me. Is I know RSR pays their bills, Sports South pay their bills yeah. on time every time. Yeah, they're great. And so that's why, just as a, a younger company, I'm not bank i'm not in the business of extending terms to everyone and their mother especially in a, a very volatile situation that we could be entering right now yeah my, my banker right. told me once he's like i won't start making guns if you don't loan people money that's a good point yeah and now it's it's really easy when people ask to borrow money i'm like told my banker told me once yeah <laughs> like, no no absolutely not it's like yeah so if he says it's okay to loan you money but I, I wanted to touch on what Eric was saying too, with regard to our different roles in terms of you know him doing the design, me doing the sales piece. Um, I'd say I've got the easier job because in the Mike and Richard dynamic at Magpul, Richard was always the one that would come in and be like, "Just make this; it's easy." <laughs> and so I've kind of got that role with with Eric right now. I'm like, "Hey, I have a customer who wants this thing. Can you do it?" And I just get to walk away, and he has to like make it work. <laughs> you're, you're greatly <laughs> oversimplifying that and downplaying your role. You are great at your job, but I will say, I say it at our company, you know, like we don't have anyone in, like we don't have sales. Right. Right. And we're fortunate. And I had this attitude with you guys at Advanced Armament. If we create the best product, we don't have to have sales. It sells itself. Yeah. I mean, in in reality, I'm the sales guy. Um, 
but that's always what you hope. But especially right. with accessories and you got stuff that you can mass produce and there's competition, you got to have somebody that knows what the hell they're doing. Sure. You know, it, it's something that I've, I've always really disliked being called a salesman because it, it has that like trickery effect to it. And I, I think back to Remington where they yeah. would basically force customers like, okay, if you want ammo, you've got to buy a bunch of these shitty guns too. Otherwise, you're not getting your allocation. And so it was something that they, they knew they had a, a, a bad product, but they would basically force the, the hand of the customer yeah. to get the good stuff. Th- that, that was common with H&K back in the day when I loved H&K and was a kid and worked in Bullseye in Lawrenceville, Georgia. They were HK dealer, and HK had some dogs. They had some <laughs> shit products, but you had to buy that stuff mm. to get all the good stuff. Yeah. And FN was it. I mean, I think most FN did gun too, yeah. companies, SIG does that. Um I don't know for us, but I, I think I'm to the point where I don't think distributors, you know, it's hard for me. We s- ship them a pallet of guns. All they put is like a shipping label on it and push it out the door. Push out the door, right. And people know who we are now, where they didn't, you know, five years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, sure. there's still tons that don't. But, you know, once you start talking about giving distributors millions and millions of dollars a year. Right. Like, could we do a better job internally? And like, what do we as a company think the future is for our company? And, and who are the important customers, you know, in, in the in-between us and the end user? I feel like also, like, how many more potential buyers are willing to pull the trigger, no pun intended, um, when they see that we have a two-and-a-half-month lead time or a three-month lead time as opposed to 15, 16, whatever it is, because we're not sending whatever 500 guns to this distributor and 200 of that one or whatever well i think eventually too we, we have to have inside sales and customer service and how sure. are we deeming or, or word it but you know i think it's more of a dealer liaison sort of thing right and you know a, as we grow we're going to need that eventually and i i hate one thing that i've halfway learned is you know, I, I typically do things when I have to, and then that sucks, and it's way harder. And you get you got to start anticipating this stuff, and it's way easier to implement these sorts of changes w- when you kind of get ahead of the curve yeah. a little bit. Like right. always reacting, you, you never do a good job with any right. of that. So one of the things that uh, is negative about using distribution is they don't share data with you. Um, we've been having a lot of conversations about marketing and customer service and whatnot, and the simple fact is I, I'm of the belief that we will be as gun companies will be kicked off social media within the next few years. I, yeah, I think yeah. Instagram and Facebook specifically will probably prohibit companies from doing anything uh, gun related and then maybe individuals next. So where do we go? Because it's so critical. Like when you guys had your Instagram page shut down, I mean, how many tens of thousands of followers did you have at the time? At the time we were at two, well, we, three, four. Well, right. We're, we're at, just under 100 right now but i think at the time we had 70 oh i thought we were at 90 no well this that was the first one we've had multiple <laughs> <get> shut down <laughs> sure so but i mean the that is if i'm not mistaken your primary avenue to communicate oh, through customers it was right? the only way the only way right so what happens in a month a year two years when we're all just gone what's your avenue and so building the relationships directly with customers and dealers um, it might be the way forward. So you yeah. can communicate via direct email. I mean, God, are we going to go back to silencer talk again? 
like forums. It, it will know? be interesting to see if right. we, we, yeah. we go back to that. Um, you know, for me, what I think is I'm open to it. Uh, the Instagram thing sucked. They've shut us down two or three times. Yeah. And, you know, of course, don't tell you why. And I think it was gone for six months. Yeah. And then recently we made Official Q2 the backup and we right. we weren't doing anything on it and made it private. And that one got yanked. And then we uh, like a month later, I appealed it. And then a month later, it just showed back up. Like, so even if you're not active on it. it, it yeah. yeah. I mean, email we can control. So I, I think, you know, I'm cognizant of that, too. And once they took it away now, like I don't have a fear. Because it's not like they're just going to take mine away. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not doing anything illegal on there. Right. Nothing that other gun companies don't do, probably other than, like, hurting more feelings. But um, So they'll all go away, so it'll be a level playing field. It was like right. the thing yeah. with the Honey Badger pistol. So so what? We just correct, and I always hope, like, that's the confidence I have in our company, is that we're going to be able to change course better than a lot of companies. Right. Whether that's right. we're just going to do it through email I mean, as we grow too, you know, part of what I want my job to be is, you know, like brand ambassador for <laughs> Q. But in building part of the brand around me for better or for worse, it's I do like anyone that knows me. And you can see the, like, the things online, what an asshole I am. But I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. I love our actual customers. Yeah. And, you know, like I want the the Q Motorhome to go around and do things at the gun stores, promote the companies. You know, the way gun companies used to do some stuff in the 50s, give stuff away. Like I'm generally right. a fairly generous guy. And I love fun and the spontaneity of, you know, kind of just, you know, like the carnival atmosphere of showing up. We're going to do this thing. We're going to give stuff away. And always leave the customer with more than they were anticipating. And we just own that content and we post it and control it. Like, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I do think you're right. The way it's going with social media, we're all going to be gone. Yeah. I mean, it'll all be gone. But, you yeah. know, I mean, we, who, who would have came thought? up in an industry before social media? So. Yeah. It's like water. You can dam it up, but it's going to find a way to flow somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Because, so. I mean, you think we were doing, I mean, that's a good point. And there's so many of these companies, and it, it's so weird being an old guy in the industry now because I right. was a young one for so long. Uh, but, yeah, I haven't even ever lived life without social media. So it'll probably be scarring for them. But <laughs> right. for me, we were doing printed ads, right. and then the forums right. started. Yeah. And, right. and that was great because then you could dr- have direct contact. Mm-hmm. When you talked about, like, me, you, and Trey back on Silence, you're talk, yeah. talking shit to each other. And, yeah. and then people wouldn't know that we were friends, too. And, like, Trey did the dick pull yeah, logo and posted exactly. you. Hey, Magpul guy. What, what did he say? He mocked me saying that we're yeah, a muffler he, company. He said, Kevin, we make cars, you make mufflers. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I'm like, hey, guess what, Trey? They make cars now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that was like the first kind of other than SHOT Show with the booths right. that you guys did at Magpul, which were awesome and different. And AAC was doing similar stuff. And and then the forums were able to connect. And so then you see the personalities and the people. Right. Um, and social media has taken that to another level. Right. But, yeah, social media and, you know, don't take it too seriously. I, I, I love, you know, I'm always going to thrive in that. And that pisses people off and I come off the the way that I do but for me it's like it's marketing you know all the things on social media just like with everyone else that's not your real life right like to say that I mean some of the stuff that I see where we talked about it earlier the honey badger Mm -hmm. oh it's just a Gucci thing and Kevin's just good at guerrilla marketing but you know you could build the 
you know, the same gun or so-and-so offers it for $900, like, you're a moron. <laughs> like, that's just not real life. You might get a gun, but it's not the same thing. And people talking about or telling us to spend more on design and innovation and less on marketing <laughs> or whatever, I'm like, hey, man, we just, like, film videos at work. Like, what right. do you mean spend mo- What are you talking about? All the money yeah. goes into that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the marketing thing is weird because the first time I was ever exposed to a truly professional marketing team was Silencer Co. They had a, a marketing department that was disproportionately large uh, compared to the size of the company. And... I would argue that they, to a certain degree, were a marketing company who sold silencers. They invested heavily into videos Definitely. and you know that kind uh, of stuff. Yeah, I think they took what we were doing at AAC to another right. level that was good, in my opinion. But they didn't keep it in check. No. And and we see what happened to them. I mean, they, right. they imploded, and, and that was kind of a, a sad thing. What is important to me is we develop the most innovative and the best products in we're able to deliver that. And I want the consumer, like it's very important to me that the consumer is, what's the word? Like I want them to, to always get more than they anticipate and be like the product better and be more excited when they see it from the time they see it, they pick it up, they shoot it, that their experience is always better than they anticipate. And that is impossible to do every time, but that's always my goal. Right. I will take that over more money or a bigger company or being a nicer guy any day of the week like that. Those are my goals. And I think overall we do a pretty good job considering so far. And we're going to continue to grow and get better at it. Sure. And I don't, it's definitely not everyone's goal, you know. Um, And my investors, they had to know that when they invested. You know, this this is my goal. And I know that we can do this and the money follows that. Um. Yeah, there you got some time. This, did we, we talked about this yesterday, huh? When are we going to yeah. get these for the fix, my man? When, when, when is this thing coming <laughs> off? That's a good are question. We, we, got, <laughs> we got ETAs. a lot of things on the table. But yeah, I mean, we're saying by the end of the year, for sure. Oh, oh, okay. I can wait it's ready on. when it ships. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the AK, huh? AK, AK grip, grip yeah. yeah. Was this just something you wanted to do, or is this a request from a that, customer? That was... That's one of the few, well, these two are two examples of something that we did. But that one was for the fix because we couldn't put the CQG on the fix because of the the, uh, beaver tail on the back. And then the AK, people just kept saying, hey, I love your grip. I wish it was an AK grip. So, all right, we can do that. Do we know from, uh, like, the experiences you guys had at Magpul is the AK stuff? It is. There is a huge market for it as well. There is. Um well, th- yeah, and there's also, you know, it used to be just Tapco options for right. AK. Yeah, that's true. And then it, you know, then Magpul got into that space, and now it's just Magpul and Tapco options. Whereas you, where AR-15s, you've got ten different options, right? So or more, yeah. I would expect, based on import restrictions, um, that the U.S.-made AK market will probably have some sort of resurgence, and we might start getting decent quality AK parts that are made in the U.S. Oh, that's cool. So, in addition to being a 922R compliant part that you have to have for a foreign-made gun, that's right. Yeah. Um, I I think that they're like Kalashnikov USA and stuff are going to boost up their manufacturing to avoid any sort of import bans. Well, I, I wonder if. So is there now, there's a, a ban on the ammo? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it's just, but for, it's just that they can't, new companies can't get a contract. And if your contract expires, you can't re-up it, correct? It's an import uh, issue. Yeah. So 
I, I talked to one of my former bosses who's now um, at a very large ammunition manufacturer. He said that he thinks that you've got about two years worth of um, import open licenses um, that will continue to bring in 545 and 76239 from Russia. Right. Um, but he also did not rule out the possibility of tooling up to make AK ammo here in the States. You yeah, know? I, th- I feel like that's probably the next step. Well, if that happens, then to me, the AK market dies. Really? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna pay the same for AK forty seven ammo you do for three hundred blackout. Right. Yeah. Right. No. Right. Well, I so mean, I, I think people. I think a large portion of at least what I see online, and so take it for nothing. Um, people, I like AK. I, lo- I love all guns, but AK is freaking cool. I don't ever choose to shoot it over my AR. Right. And I think a lot of people get are married to it because it's cheap ammo. Yeah. But I, I think, like, right. but like you explained, like, if you do see that that surge of American manufactured AK platforms, like, I think that then makes uh, these other companies like Rifle Dynamics or like even Jim Fuller himself, like, I think now they have to play oh. ball. So you're gonna see lower end, not lower end quality, but like more affordable. Like, I I don't know. I think it creates a competition. I don't. I mean, you're not gonna see a thousand dollar honey badger. No. At any point. So I don't think, I don't know. Right. I mean, these guys are probably, but if they have surplus capacity, there's always going to be room for the best. So the guy that can spend $2,500 on an AK probably didn't matter to him. Yeah. But when you start having to pay 556 and 300 blackout and 308 prices yeah. for AK ammo, right? All of a sudden, I think those ergonomics and being able to mount an, like all right. the things that aren't great about an AK. <laughs> People gonna yeah wake wake to very very quickly yeah no. like I then it's just you're having an AK because it's cooler because there's there's nothing right. functionally yeah well, that's what I was gonna say it's you know everyone, everyone has three ARs now right. so they want to diversify their their bonds <laughs> exactly diversify yeah. your bonds I mean I have exactly. a uh, I've got a Jim Fuller AK um, yeah. the Silencer Co one we did it's probably a three thousand dollar gun yeah. I've never shot it but I bought it yeah. Well, <laughs> for yeah. me, I've got an AR-18 and I've got a G36 and, you know, I've got several awesome AKs. Where are you in the FAL market? I have, I have FALs. I like the FAL. Me too. Um, I'm going to get one. But I, I don't, like, if I want to go out shooting, you, you can't beat the AR. I mean, you just can't. Right. It, it's more enjoyable right. to shoot. Like, I was so excited back in the 90s when the... G36 was coming out and couldn't <laughs> wait to get mine and the anticipation I wait a year it shows up and I probably raced to the range like immediately and you know loaded up all the mags and instantly shot it and I was like oh man <laughs> like yeah. I mean it's a great gun super reliable it's cool but it's right. not enjoyable to shoot like an AR right. Mm-hmm. right so I don't know I don't know it'd be interesting but I mean yeah it, it's cool I mean this is something to me, I, I love seeing what you guys are doing. And these are the steps you take. You do the thing here. You do the thing there. You do the scope mount. You diversify. You grow. You offer a, a, a great product. Yeah. Um, the uh, the one that we're most excited about is probably the AR-15 stock that we're coming out with hopefully later this year. Um, should actually be something that is not just another you know standard carbine stock. I think people will be pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. we got to do a gun just to put it on. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, I mean, I don't know. There might not be, might be easy to do because there might not be <laughs> braces, braces and stuff braces, anymore. Yeah. So, right. 
right. opens up but a lot of like stuff. Even the modularity that you you showed us with it as well, like that, oh. just opens you up to so many different possibilities. Yeah, with this. I, 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 I think, uh, and I don't know I, what you guys want to give away and what you don't, but what I will say is, when it is available, and we go back. 15 years and 10 years and you start looking at the progression of these things like it's very easy to see why and i don't know if your products are more expensive than your competitors not no idea but why you pay what you're paying for the design and the experience and you can actually see a lineage of oh i just can't wait i don't want to give it away but (laughs) like and and you start looking at the specs of the older stuff compared to the new stuff and it is easy black and white to see where i don't know you look at the honey badger and people say the one that we did at aac right. compared to the new one well, what are the differences like you can't even <laughs> like spec wise yeah. it's like okay we did faster twists and the adjustable gas block now and we it's improved more, some way more re- refined now but yeah you know that and it's amazing that now like we were saying earlier that 10 years later it's still got so much popularity it's so good it's, you know it's been in all the all the video games all the kids know it right yeah it's yeah. like the fmg9 we did it magpul everyone's <sighs> like oh fmg9 Call yeah. of Duty. I, w- I wanted to to bring that up earlier too um and i forgot so i'm glad you said it so it's the folding glock thing right right it's it, it mag you guys did it better than me but how do you get attention at SHOT Show? Or how do you become known as an innovator? Coming up with projects like this. Well, that, and, and again, <sighs> that it's, it's organic, right? Because that wasn't, we didn't do it to be cool at SHOT Show. It just happened that that came along, the idea of, you know, redo the, the radio gun. And now we can do it with plastic and clocks are easy. And, you know, so we did it. Yeah. And then it just happened to be that the prototype was ready for shot. You know, it was a lot of work to get it ready for shot show, yeah. but then, you know, but then we took it from there and then, um, was it future weapons on discovery yeah, channel was like, Oh, can we put that on there? And we got, I had to go drive out to Kentucky and shoot this thing. And we got oh, third, real? third best CQB weapon of all time. That never existed. <laughs> <laughs> future weapons. That's so was great. corner shot. Like, a yeah, one or two of them. yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. That third best. <laughs> that's so yeah. awesome. But I, I just yeah, love, I mean, that, that that's iconic too. The the shot show video of Drake with his baggy shirt right, and all. Yeah. Let's get, yeah, get down, down to business. business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and any problems occur? We actually yeah. when that when that came, when that started going around the that the show, the FBI like I guess actually like released an internal memo that like these things were around and like they should all all their right. agents be should wary. be aware that people yeah. have these little folding out guns <laughs> they thought we were selling them again but then another one you know like the the ronin project we did that was another project <sighs> the that, motorcycle yeah you know it it was not because we wanted something cool to have a shot show we just turns out you got something cool so you take it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly so trey yeah. had a good idea years ago and i think it was because of the fmg9 and the pdw or PDR, I think, is what Because, you know, it. Stoner did, I mean, the Soviets yeah. did, and then Stoner had the radio right. gun. But right. well, Trey's yeah. idea was, why can't we do concept guns the same way Ford does concept cars? Maybe it won't go into production, but it gets you that it attention, the it, interest. you know, creativity. Well, that's but really what you guys <laughs> did. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's exactly that's, that's what, what we did. Yeah. was, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you could get the creative companies like you guys, him, us, whatever, to do these concepts, it could actually be pretty cool. It would, it would have changed shot show and everything and, and sure. had we gone that route i would probably be interested in still going right, right. but now like i'm just 
I, I can't imagine what it would take for me to go <laughs> to SHOT Show now. Like, <laughs> what amount of money they would have to give me or... And we have the ability to just do it on our own. Like, why does it even exist? Well, it yeah, it, used to, it was because the magazines used to get all their content for the year. And then the internet came along and, and now you can just release a product direct to your consumer without ever involving a magazine. And that's why the magazine industry is suffering. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the last few years was just to go to do the parties. Right. Well, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then I can, I'm kind of over that now. But that's that's where I think, and I've been saying it for years, it, it's like if we get in a position to where we can increase production and we don't need, um, yeah, yeah, we, you okay? Yeah, I made a sound. We, we do something, mm-hmm. like we needed something like SHOT Show for exposure. It, as much money as it and all, it costs like, you know, in a few years, I could afford to buy a ranch in Texas. <laughs> but, like, you just rent a ranch in Texas and you bring the key right. people that you want to show right. it to. And, right. and then you get the, the, the personal time with them. Right. Um, and I don't know. There's no one that's going to spend time with me with our products and not see the passion and not see, you know, why it's better than other things in the industry or that's available. And and to me, like, why would we not do that rather than go to SHOT Show and compete for, yeah, Yeah. just exposure? All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Jay, thanks. It's always a good time to see everyone. Participating. (laughs) Can I kick it? Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) 